I'm so glad to be able to talk to you about not just what we do at our ministry, but I think how we can work well together. But I'm so glad that we have actually come here first to think about what God has to say. So without further ado, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. I only preach from a few verses, but I can tell you, because I live an hour and a half south of here, uh, I had the opportunity to listen to all of Romans on my way up here after my devotion. And uh, my grandfather used to always say, you can't tell it all. But I know the hard thing is, is that when you have one opportunity to preach, you want to say as much as you can. So I apologize if everything doesn't come together, but I am excited about talking to you about Romans. So we hope that much of it lands in Romans 8. So, verse 6, 7, and 8, and then we'll skip down to 38 and 39. This is the word of the Lord. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. God, our Father, who loves us with an everlasting love, we come to you thanking you for your word, who came down in flesh. God, we praise you that you have given us your son and your Holy Spirit that lives in us. So God, now I ask that I would decrease and you would increase, that you would speak a word to your people, that there would be none of me and all of you, and God, that your saints would go from here filled with your Holy Spirit and able to accomplish the great things you have called them to. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning from Romans chapter 8, these verses, we want to have a simple topic, but I think one that's very appropriate for our time, and that's thanking God for his love. And I was thinking, I said, oh, well, I'm going up there. It's going to be close to the Thanksgiving time, and I think it's great that we have it. But if you're in our generation, you have started to think a little bit differently about what Thanksgiving is, and you may have a little bit of issues with celebrating Thanksgiving the normal way. So I always try to push that we can start to thank God, and then we move into thanking other people and other things, and we can move into a place of actually giving adoration to the one who is worthy of that. So in Romans chapter 8, we're thanking God for his love, and this love is one that is for us with flesh. We have flesh. It is also for those who are in his Holy Spirit. And finally, it's from Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, the first verse that we read says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. As I told you, we're in Romans chapter 8, and if any of you know, Romans chapter 8 is the smack dab middle of Romans. It's 16 chapters, and if you're going through, if it's, you really kind of feel like you're working up to something, it gets really exciting. And Romans chapter 8 has a whole lot of probably our favorite memory verses. If 
any of us did or want us. And so there's things there that you remember that it just says, and it starts off with there's no condemnation. That's how we start. Romans chapter 8, and there's a whole lot of powerful passages there. But Romans chapter 8 is after Paul has done a whole lot of other work. So he started off by explaining that he's a servant. He's a servant of this God. He's a servant of this Jesus Christ. It is his Lord. That's how he explains it. Then he moves into giving greetings. I love the end of it. When I was coming into Culpeper, he's greeting all of these people and naming, and he's like, and she's a woman, and she's a woman, and he, he, I love his mother too. She's like a mother to me. That's how he's talking to these individuals. I think it's ironic that Paul says, I can't wait to get to you all. I'm on my way. I'll go to Spain first, but I'm going to Jerusalem. If we know the story, Paul ends up going to Rome very differently than a great greeting that he expected. He went in chains. And so keep in mind that this person has been persecuted all throughout, and now he's talking about the wrath of God. That's the first few chapters. The wrath of God and his judgment. That's where he began. So we're getting to God, thanking God for his love. But he starts by talking about how all of us, both Jew and Gentile alike, those individuals who have God's word. I was so glad that we, had, we were led in worship this morning. All of the things that we are talking about, we've sang in holy, holy, holy. We've sang in all of these. All of that stuff he's trying to unpack in those first few chapters of Romans. And then he moves on to saying that there's not one individual who's righteous. We're getting to the love of God, but he had to explain to you that this is not something you deserve. This is actually something that we rejected. God's love, each and every one of us say, I don't want it. Some way, shape, or form, that's part of our story. So no, not one is righteous. Then when it seems like all hope is lost, he explains faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ is the one who does that. My son's middle name is Job. Two different times in the book of Job, Job says something that sounds like the gospel. Job says, if only there was someone who could stand between me and God. If there was just someone who could plead my case to him. He understands he needs an advocate. That's what he says. I need a mediator, someone to be there. So now Paul explains there is a mediator. We can have faith in him. He not only deals with our sin, but he also engages us with the law. How is it that we can now be people who are not bound by the law of sin, but we are new people in his Holy Spirit, and that's where we get to. So as you get there, he's made that point, and now he's trying to tell you about living life in the Spirit. So living life in the Spirit begins with, he says, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. That's verse verse 1. Verse 2, he talks about how we're free. Now, by the spirit of life, he talks about. Verse 3, he talks about how God, through his son Jesus, is fulfilling all of these things in us. I, I make that point only to say that it seems like the Trinitarian understanding of God was really important to Paul. All through this, you start to see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How they work together is so much more complex than the water theory or the egg theory, whichever one you want to go with, that those things are actually true, that there is an eternal God who's also the Son, who's also the Spirit. And if you are wrestling with those types of things, go in God's Word and keep seeing how they work so beautifully together, how that love is actually the thing that we're talking about. 
We have a foreknown knowledge. He has a foreknown knowledge of us, and he has life in himself. And then this beautiful, complex one in three says, let us. In our own image and likeness, we are created. That's how we start our story. Each of us understands that that God who's so complex has decided without any help or assistance whatsoever that he's going to make us. The reason why I explain that because, and I know we have a lot of kids here, so I'm not going to give you as much of my normal speech pattern when I talk about the evils of abortion industry, but I can talk about this. In 1987, my mother and my father were not going to have me. They, did, they were 16 and 17 years old, and they thought they were too young, and there was a way that they could get rid of me, and they wanted to. They tried to. They were 20 weeks to the day, and that's the only reason why I'm here. And so when I talk about these things, about being created in his image and likeness and God actually caring, I know that without any human effort, intentionality, desire, even with all of the work that you can put against it, sometimes the first set of clothing that I had was paid for by the money that was supposed to pay for a procedure. Those types of things actually happen when there is a sovereign God. So this sovereign God is the one who starts off by giving us life. And this life is something that is not just the body. So this passage talks about for the flesh. And we'll talk about the flesh. But it's so much more than just the body. Because there is a soul. There is a spirit. There is something else. That there is not just the earthly, but there is also eternity built into us. We have a desire for that. And though a man born of a woman, also from Job, is full of trouble, right? If, if you are a human, you've had a tough day at least once. Kids, I know if, if your Barbie doll's hair is just not going to work right, that's a tough time, right? I mean, it doesn't make a difference what degree of difficulty we want to have to it. We have sorrow and we have pain even though there's a great God who's created us with these great things like a body and a soul. And so we long for the resurrection. We long for perfect bodies. We long for, we hate aging. Learning to play the guitar has already produced one, one thing in me. There's going to be a day where I won't be able to. I mean, I just think about that. Like, that's how great of a joy I have. And that's where immediately, if I learn something new, I gotta, I'm going to lose it. Because I was raised by my great-grandparents. The person who raised me was 75 years old when I was born, born in 1913. I was born in 88. I saw a person constantly not be able to do what they thought they would be able to do. So when we talk about this flesh, this life that we have, it has to be more than just the body. Because the body is not good enough, no matter what it is. We all have self-image issues of some kind of variety. And if you hang out with enough people, they'll give you more. So what we got to understand, even if they're good brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So what we have is we have a mind. That's what it says. It says, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So we have a mind. The word in the Bible means thoughts. It also means purpose. We actually have purpose, not just our own. How beautiful it is to set your mind on God and know that he has given you purpose and direction. It's inclination, but it can be carnal or spiritual. It's important to recognize that there is no gray matter, though. There is carnal 
or it's spiritual. And then we also have breath. Oh, how wonderful it is that we can communicate. Even when we aren't able to use our words audibly, we find ways to communicate. With groans, this, throughout the past, they said with groans. When I was growing up, they used to say, when you moan or when you hum, the devil doesn't know what you're talking about. So sometimes it would be encouraged for you to just make groans. Because sometimes even Satan will not understand. Because sometimes we don't know what to say. That's also in the passage. But we've been given the spirit. And the same spirit that Genesis 2 says was hovering over the water. That same spirit that actually was with David when he fought. The same spirit that Jesus Christ gave to those individuals at Pentecost. The same spirit that Mary had. That little baby. It says the Holy Spirit he was conceived by. That Holy Spirit is actually what he's given us in addition to his son. So now we have those things. So when we go to talking about the flesh, let us understand who we are as individuals, not just individuals with flesh, as some would like to say, or just a few chromosomes, or just a few pieces of tissue. It's so much more than that. The God of the universe actually has purpose, and then he's given it to us. And now we have flesh. So many of the translations render this just sinful nature. I like it better when we say flesh. Because with flesh, you don't have to think about. Sinful kind of feels like you did something wrong. Like you try to be. I didn't do something good, so it must be. But flesh is just what's natural. Flesh is there even if you ain't trying. And what we got to understand is, is that that's usually what it is. I know. I got a two-year-old. He's not trying to be disobedient. He's just not trying to be obedient. That, I mean, and it's a big difference. And so what we have to understand is we who have flesh, we have bodies. But that flesh is of all creature. So when you read the word in the Bible, that doesn't mean human beings. And No, it means just animals. We have those same instincts. It's not divine. It's actually separate from the divine. It means that. It means born of natural generations. Natural generations. So what happens to all of that? That all leads to death. All of us actually have a part. It's separation of the body and soul. That's what death means. It's a state of misery. And the Bible sometimes uses the same word for death as it means for hell. Just something arising from, this is the way it use it simply, something arising from sin. That's what death is. Whatever sin produces, the definition is best to just say death. That's what it is in us. And that's what our hostility towards God. What is hostility towards God? Just not loving him. It's not going around saying a bunch of four-letter words. It is not doing what God told us to do. That's what we are, enemies who hate him, who are actually deserving of his opposition. That's why Paul begins with wrath. He says, we deserve it. This is who we are. But thanks be to the Lord. We're getting there. This is the Lord. I know we wanted to get to thanking God for his love, but we got to understand that's what it takes. Children, I know that's what it takes for me to understand. That's what your parents are doing. They are taking all of that into account and still loving. It's not just like, oh, they're so cute. Oh, they're so great. No, it's like, oh, my, 
what I have endured, and yet will I love you? Yes, that's why this word is agape, not eros or phileo. It is not selfish at all. It doesn't gain anything. It's just selfless love for the other. That's what we're talking about. So, our Father's love, it now includes what this word says. It's not just life, but it's peace. That God who we have angered, that God who we are separated from, that God who we aren't thinking about, that God who we will binge watch Netflix but will never binge read his word, that God who actually endures all of our infirmities, he is now made peace with us. That word means exempt from rage. He's not angry anymore. He knows what we did. He saw us do it, and he's still loving us. It's no more havoc of war. That's what it was. No havoc, the war that God could actually put on you. When I read through Mark the other day, so amazing to think about that in the garden, when he's being tempted by Satan, it says at the end of that, the angels, they were there attending him. So you think about that. Jesus always had just a legion of angels hanging out ready to go. And people just taunted him and poked him and tried to kill him all through his time. And Jesus always was so gentle. He never called down fire on these. I was like, that is such power subdued, actually willing to submit. This is what we're talking about, how peace comes about. It is to be concerned about the prosperity of another. And what he has made sure is that there is no fear. That's what peace is. He wants to alleviate our wrestlings. So we're not worried about the life that we have right now. So we're not trying to say, if I go to the right college or if I get into the right school. If those things are not where we're actually trying to find value or purpose, our minds are not set on those things. We know that all of those things will actually go and die. But we understand that there is actually a Father who loves us and gives us eternal life and an everlasting peace with Him. So, 7b says, For it is the mindset on the flesh does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The Holy Spirit is there to set us free. But we're set free to submit. Submit means to obey. It's God's law. What does God's law? Jesus Christ sums it up this. Love God, love your neighbors as yourself. We're not talking about 1,700 things here. I know we, we love our catechisms. I'm glad we have them. But we really can put it in those two things and summarize it and we're done. Love. This love says that we cannot. Why? Because we have current sufferings. We understand that we have current sufferings. And if we think about our current sufferings, we were not moved towards loving God. The current sufferings are real. They are inward, they are external, they are enduring, and they're emotional. Those are all words that the Bible explains. That's what your sufferings are. But they also explain that they are not to be compared to the future glory. You've got to keep in mind that there is a resurrection that's constantly, it doesn't mean that we're turning our minds off of the body. It's recognizing that this will decay and we have to have a hope in something better. This Holy Spirit is also there to give us power to please God. What a great thing to want to do, to actually want to please God. To say, hey, dude who's done everything for me, 
what, what can I do? That's what worship was supposed to be this morning. So we're going to turn our attention to actually quoting back to God the things that he said he'd like to hear. Man, for those married, I, I know husbands and wives, will you say it to me this way? When you do that, they love it. I know my, I love it when you don't ask a question without telling me why you're asking a question. Right? Just give me a little bit of information beforehand so I'm not all in the blue. That's what we love, to hear those. And God is, he's jealous for us. He doesn't want any God but us. That's why we have plagues. That's why we have all of these things happen in Egypt. Because he wants there to be an understanding that he's better than Ra. He's better than Baal. He's better than everything else. There is no Facebook equivalency, right? There is no app that will maybe get more likes because he is actually that great. Verse 25 of this chapter says that we can hope for the unseen. We do it with patience because the Spirit is there in verse 26 to help us in our weakness. So when we don't know what to do, we actually understand that it's understandable to say, I don't know. We don't even know what to pray. If we're parents, we have to come to the realization that we don't know what to pray for our children. If, we're, if we love someone else, we can either make them into what we want them to be or we can pray that God does what he wants to do, right? And so what we have to do is actually go to his supernatural spirit who's there to deal with our earthly sorrow, but give us supernatural help. Now, finally, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, brothers and sisters, we are able to be sure. We're able to be sure. That means we, the other words are persuaded. We can use God's word and we can be persuaded that it's real, that it's good, that that's what God would have for us. God is willing to persuade you. He will keep being faithful. He will keep being merciful. He will keep showing compassion. He will also keep having wrath for you going in. He will keep pursuing you and taking things away from you until you say, Abba, Father. That's how much. R.C. Sproul called it a three-legged stool. And that's what this word means to be sure. It means not just to believe it. Not just to trust it, but to actually obey. So a stool is something that you don't just look at it and you say, I think it can support my weight. You don't just dump it down and say, I think it, it looks sturdy enough. But if you really want a seat, you've got to put your honey in it, right? That's the way it works. So you really put all of yourself in Jesus, in the God who is able to do all of these things. This is the law. Love one another. Again, verse 28 says that all things work together for the good of those who are called. Take that as an assurance. If all things are going to work together, then verse 30 actually means something. It says, for those who are predestined, then they will be conformed into the image of his son. You will be. That's the word. You will be conformed to the image. So what do we ask for? God, make me look more like Jesus. Period. Please, help me look more like Jesus. I look more like me today. This person driving in front of me is way too slow. I'm getting really upset. This feels like DJ. Make me more like Jesus. That's what we got to get to. Finally, it's unable to separate. 
like get there, it's unable to be separated. This is an assurance, right? This is what this is supposed to bring to us, that we cannot have it. Separate means to divide. We know what that means. You know, you put the little line there. It makes something big get smaller. We, we're not doing that. It also means divorce. This is literally the word in the Bible that means divorce. We're not able to be divorced from God. Look at the Old Testament, though. There are times when they are divorced from God. That's something that Paul addresses in the next few chapters. He talks about being grafted in and ungrafted. We aren't able to be divorced from God as long as we stay connected. That's our job, to abide, to keep loving, to keep saying, I want to. That's what it is. It's a striving towards. Finally, in verse 36 and 37, it does explain something that is happening as we are unable to be separated. So we make sure that we walk away understanding the gospel truthfully. It is said that we are being killed all day long. So what the gospel is not is come on get Jesus and then everything will be gumdrops and lollipops, peaches and cream. None of those things. This language right here is meant for those who are walking with the Lord. We feel like sheep being slaughtered. To not do what you want to do in yourself, to not go along with the crowd, to not engage in all types of evil, the things that everybody's saying is perfectly fine and okay to do. Just don't go to church. You, you, got, you went enough when you were younger. Just don't worry about whatever you... Talk to your parents how I talk to my parents. That's cool. That's what everybody else does. Those simple things are what it looks like to be a Christian. To just wrestle, not going with your own will. Being killed all day long. But here's the end of it. We are more than conquerors. Because he loves us. He loves us. His love for us is great enough that it will transform us into the image of his son. It's our Savior's love. It's present here so we might be sure. It's also promise, so we will be protected through all of the things that come. So our Father's love is eternal life. It's everlasting peace with him. It is the Spirit's help in sorrow, supernatural assurance for present afflictions. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much that you've given us your Son, your Holy Spirit, life in you, not just now, but eternal life where we will no longer be able to sin. So God, we look forward to that day. We wrestle until then. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.